This podcast explores topics such as post-traumatic stress disorder. If you feel impacted by the discussion, Victoria Police employees and their families can access support by contacting Wellbeing Services on 1300 090 995. Help is available to everyone via Lifeline on 13 11 14 or through Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. I struggled with dealing with the incident for 15 years and I just wore a mask for a heck of a long time. I, I called it my big girl pants. So I'd wake up every day and just put my big girl pants on and say, I can do this. Some days the big girl pants were very easy to find. They were, you know, beside my bed and I'd jump out, put them on and in my head I was fine. Other days I struggled and some days I would go until I got to the door at work before I found my big girl pants. Inspector Pauline Williams was a fresh young constable in 1997. With her partner, they confronted a man trying to steal from a car. He pulled a pistol on them and Pauline's life changed. This is her story. I'm Justin Smith, a journalist working with the Victoria Police and you're listening to Distinction, recognising the bravery from inside the job and the price that came with it. To help tell Pauline's story, this is police veteran, retired superintendent Peter O'Neill, a former member of the Victoria Police Honours and Awards Committee. I'm currently sitting in the retirement home of... (laughs) It's not a retirement home, it's your retirement home. Uh, Peter O'Neill, who was uh, a very big deal at Victoria Police uh, and uh, has now entered his retirement years and has been part of the Memorial Committee for a very long time. This is personal business for you. I can't express how grateful I've been. Uh, my last handful of years been really able to focus on, the, on our history and plugging some of those gaps. Because there's some names that we should know a little better. We should know a, a lot better and names that we take for granted. And people say, I wonder what they did, you know. And then when you do get the files out and you do to talk about it, you think, Christ, they've done an awful lot. And uh, and also the work that they've done post post this uh, significant, traumatic, possibly life-ending uh, episode in their life and that they can go on and share it with others and they can build on it and they can also... Uh, give people some tools to be able to cope. I think importantly, you talk about the uh, the effects that it can have on somebody, and it leads us into talking about Pauline Williams, yep. Constable Pauline Williams at the time, and uh, Constable Matthew Nielsen, yes, that's uh, who were awarded the Valor Awards. I've talked to Pauline, uh, a remarkable person, wonderful that's person. I mean, uh, what, are, what are your impressions of Pauline? Uh, in, in, inspiring. And uh, uh, although she was a fantastic constable and member in her early career, but what she's been able to do is go and educate and inform other members as they come through the ranks, as they do their uh, their courses, about how to cope with the stresses of policing. And believe me, the police the stresses of policing are endless. And uh, Pauline, on her occasion, was confronted by a by by a gunman, a, a crook. They were lucky to to win that day. They were lucky to win. She was lucky to tell that story. But the the best thing about Pauline is that she's built on that. She's had some significant uh, demons in her, within herself to deal with, but she's been able to, to, to embrace that and then also go now and share it with others that are coming through, whether it be the academy or detective training school or whatever, whatever format, share her experiences. 
she she talks openly now about those demons. Yes. And uh, that's that's one hell of a struggle uh, for uh, her. It is, because remember, every time she talks about those demons, she's reliving her incident. And that was a, a, a an incident that could have taken her life. It could have taken her partner's life. It could have taken... A member of our community, you know, a, you know, a stray bullet, a ricocheted bullet, you know, they're playing chase around a car with with guns, you know, like that's that's a significant thing to do, and uh, the, their courage was recognised, and, and it took some time for their, their courage to be recognised too. Again, it wasn't an easy thing where they were recognised, but they did get the Vela badge, and they deserved the Vela badge, and they deserve to be spoken about today. How do you feel about uh, talking about it? Sometimes I'm very reflective. Sometimes I don't talk about it full stop. I just will sort of be dismissive of the question. And other times before you know it, I've spoken for an hour and it was obviously something I needed to unload on. So people have got the whole gamut of it. (laughs) What were you like? Pauline Williams, young constable. How old were you then? Mm, 97, <laughs> 97, born in 68. What's that, maybe 28, 29? Oh, can, you, can you add that up later? Can do the 29. Yeah, that's right. We'll do the arithmetic on that do one the later. So you're 29 years old and you're a, you're a young copper in uh, Footscray. What was, what was it like at that time? Footscray was an amazing place to work up till the 19th or up till 2 pm, the 20th of March, 1997 there was always something happening. Like for a police officer wanting to progress through to Homicide Squad, it was the melting pot of crime activity because you had the transport hub, you had Centrelink. It was in the days when you had to actually, (laughs) this is how old I'm sounding now, like no mobile phones, no internet banking. It was pension day on a Thursday. Everybody would come out in person, to go to banks, to go to Medicare. It was just the place to be to catch offenders. Your eyes kind of light up there when you talk about catching crooks. You like doing that, don't you? I I certainly did. (laughs) Well, you just felt that's what you... It's cops and robbers type. But it's a little more than that with you, isn't it? At that time, catching catching a crook was pretty... Oh, it was satisfying. It was taking somebody off the street that was doing something wrong, it was keeping the community safe. You sort of grew up fast from a police officer perspective at Footscray. So, it was March 20, 1997, in Footscray in the early afternoon. Constables Pauline Williams and Matthew Nielsen, working a plainclothes operation, saw a man in a car park on the corner of Donald and Droop Streets. And as the phrase goes, he was acting suspiciously dressed in a boiler suit with a wig, a baseball cap and sunglasses. And they then saw him try to rob a woman who was sitting in a car, a back snatch. Williams and Nielsen got out of their car and with shouts of stop police, they chased him before he pointed the gun straight at Nielsen. Williams pulled her own pistol and ordered him to put his down. He didn't. Williams fired off two rounds that let Nielsen jump to cover. The man then pointed his pistol at Williams. She fired another warning shot before she was forced to fire at his body, dropping the man to the ground. She then stood over him, kicking the pistol away, and they waited for backup. He was arrested, he was charged with armed robbery. 
using a firearm to resist arrest and conduct endangering life. He pleaded guilty and got seven years, with a minimum of three years and six months. But it was the struggle for Pauline that followed that called upon that same courage again. In being involved in the shooting, it wasn't the shooting somebody that caused me the greatest grief. For the first six months, I unpacked and unpacked, relived that every night. Um, I never questioned whether I should have or shouldn't have shot the person. What didn't settle with me was I shot somebody and I've been brought up a very good girl <laughs> who obeys all the rules and yet, yes, you get, it's funny, you get given a gun, you get trained how to use a gun, but you don't actually connect the dots of using the gun. And when I did use it, the actual training we get on when to use it, you know, that the threat and stop the threat and um, shoot at centre, you know, aim at centre body mass, that all fell into place. It was all textbook. But what no one ever taught me was once the scene was safe, you're now put in a car, driven to homicide squad, marched up the back stairs, put in an interview room. At some point, someone, a detective walked in with the big red attendance register. Everyone walking past that interview room's peering in at you like you're an offender. At some point I asked to go to the toilet. It wasn't long into the, the night and it's still only four o'clock on a weekday. And they allocated me a male detective to walk me into the female toilets to stand at my cubicle holding the cubicle door while I went to the toilet. And that's all stuff that we do with offenders. When you're a good girl brought up to follow the rules and you think you're following rules, to all of a sudden be treated as an offender, that's the bit that's sat uncomfortable with me, that's caused me the grief, is more what happened post-incident rather than the incident. Pauline's life was now on a different path, and that was made clear when she started to make the news. I, you know, was in the Herald Sun. It was in the, it was in the papers. People were talking about it. I couldn't, through the morning, I was getting inundated with just, you know, and it's what's, what's your perception? And I felt everyone was talking about me. Whether they were or not, I don't know. But I'm hearing things. They're whispering things. People are tiptoeing around you because they don't know what to say. And, and so you just feel... Well, I felt this overwhelming need to get out of Melbourne. So you've had all of that, you know, you've had the going to the toilet, you know, at the cubicle and being looked at and being treated like a, like a criminal, mm. you know, you've put all those things together. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't a great start to that, you know, that rough road, was it? I'm very career orientated. When I joined the police force, um, once, like, I didn't know anyone who was a police officer before I joined. It's not like I've got a family history and when I grow up I want to be a police officer. And when I did join the police force at graduation, I was the person, when asked, I'd say, well, I want to be at the homicide squad when I, you know, in my career that's what I'm aiming for. 
And so to get there, I've got a strike against my name. If I then show I can't cope with a police shooting, that'll be a double strike against my name and really it'll be the end of that career. So I couldn't show anybody a chink. While Pauline was still processing what had happened, there was talk of her and her partner receiving the Victoria Police Valour Award. My colleague during the shooting and I both got nominated for a Valour Award. At some point we got told we were unsuccessful in that nomination and that's fine. I don't believe I've got an entitlement to anything. What I did feel I had an entitlement to was um, feedback uh, because what I had heard was we'd been criticised in relation to our activities on the day. So that bit I felt entitled to know what the criticism was because I'm really big on feedback and I'm big on learning and I'm always wanting to improve. So I asked if we could look at the file and I've read a report that was from a commander from Ost in that he made a comment that we had failed to comply with operational safety principle avoid confrontation. With the shooting, what happened was at one point we're chasing a male who I thought had done a handbag snatch. As I'm chasing him, he's dropped what he was carrying. In that process, we've caught up to him and as we've caught up to him, he's sort of stood up. With the, He stopped to pick up the, what he dropped and pulled out a, a pistol from his um, boiler suit, held it at both my partner and I at um, sort of point-blank range, pull, pulled back the chamber and threatened to shoot us. And uh, for some reason, and I've replayed this lots of times, he chose to turn and run away. So he could have pulled the trigger. He'd had one in the chamber and he was point-blank range. He could have pulled the trigger and he chose not to. And he ran. And with that my partner ran after him and I've run after them because out of my whole team that day, I was the only one kitted up. So I was the only one with a firearm. We're chasing a bloke who's got a firearm and I know my partner hasn't got a firearm. You know, I've chosen to continue the chase and the report from the OST commander was at that point in time, we should have not chased an armed offender that's running through the middle of Footscray during peak hour with a gun. <laughs> and I don't know, but when I signed up for Victoria Police, I signed up to protect life and property. And to have that criticism in there, my blood boiled. And I know it's a saying, but I actually was sitting there and I could feel my blood boiling and my um, viewpoint on that was so strong that I didn't care what award you're giving me. I didn't care if they were going to give me the Valour Award. I wasn't going to take any award with those comments in the file. I disagree with them and my only option to um, voice that was to not accept any award. So I didn't accept the award they offered. And they tried for a couple of months to get me to accept the award. And to the point I remember an inspector, because as I said, I'm still a constable at this point. 
an inspector's come out to um, see, to meet with me and told me I was ungrateful and who am I to, like what right do I have to say what award I should get? And I said, it's not about the level of award you're giving me, it's the comments within the file I disagree with and anything associated with those comments in the file, you can basically jam it. I'm not, I don't, I don't want it. And so I refused to accept the award and I parked it. Like I wrote my report and felt I was at peace with my decision. <laughs> and then some, a couple of years later, Sandra Nicholson was my detective inspector when I was involved in the shooting and she moved up through the ranks and at some point she took it upon herself apparently to review the file because she'd always felt we'd been hard done by in that determination. Um, so out of the blue, I didn't know any of that, but out of the blue I got um, an email from two the Deputy Commissioners O'Loughlin and Sinclair and they emailed me to say, we've reviewed your file. We can't say what's going to happen after the review. We can't preempt anything. But they both emailed me individually. They just wanted me to know they'd reviewed our ac actions and they fully supported our um, actions on the day. And that was all I needed was to hear that somebody had actually reviewed the file and made that determination. So the file went up to the Chief Commissioner and we got uh, nominated, we got awarded the Valour Award. Pauline Williams and Matthew Nielsen received the Victoria Police Valour Award, the highest honour that can be given by Victoria Police at the graduation parade at the Academy on March 10, 2000, by the Chief Commissioner, Neil Comrie. I accepted the Valour Award at the Academy on the condition that it wasn't media, because I realised it's not just about me, it's my family. It was an opportunity for them to be acknowledged as well. So we did that and we've got the Valour Award, but at that time nobody teaches you or prepares you for the Valour Award. And it's a beautiful award. Um, and it's a lovely, I don't know, aqua colour um, ribbon that you can wear. But when you wear it, not many people have it. So the obvious question that comes with that is, what's that? So when you say it's a Valour Award, they then say, well, why did you get a Valour Award? And so it starts conversations that I wasn't prepared to answer, so I found it easier not to wear the Valour Award, not to wear the ribbon. For a long time, I, I probably... Didn't wear it. I didn't wear it. Couldn't tell you where it is at the moment. And it's not um, disrespectful to the award. It just triggers things that I don't want to deal with. I struggled with dealing with the incident for 15 years and I just wore a mask for a heck of a long time. I, I called it my big girl pants. I'd wake up every day and just put my big girl pants on and say, I can do this. Um, some days the big girl pants were very easy to find. They were, you know, beside my bed and I'd jump up, put them on and in my head I was fine. Other days I 
struggled and some days I would go until I got to the door at work before I found my big girl pants. So you push it down, mm. keep on the big girl pants, but it, but it came out, you said, 15 years later. I reinvented myself by um, going out eastern region, completely opposite end to where not many people, if any, knew me, so they didn't know my backstory, they just knew who I was now. I was only doing three to four supervisor shifts a month, but for those three to four shifts, I was supervising this huge patch of potential shootings <laughs> in my head. That's what that's I. How you saw that's it. how I saw yeah. it. Was any one of these people um, could be involved in a shooting, and I'm now their supervisor. And we had a management meeting where all the managers from Eastern Region had to go to the academy for this particular session, day session. And I didn't know many people um, and I'd stayed at my parents the night before and drove out to the academy and as I'm driving out to the academy I couldn't find my big girl pants, I still didn't have them on and I could feel myself unravelling as I was driving out to the academy and as I was getting closer, I could see the building and I'm thinking, they've got, you know, I've got to get my shit together. I've just got to put on my big girl pants and get my brave face on. I'm going to be meeting all this management in there and they don't know all the backstory. I've just got to get through the day. So I got, um, got to the car park and I still, was unravelling and I still couldn't, you know, I was still thinking any moment it'll be all right, like every other time I'll get it together. And as I'm walking into the auditorium where the session was, I'm still thinking any moment it'll, you know, I'll switch on and I'll be right. And I got to um, the auditorium and I was, um, I was still not, I was still unravelling. And I then employed every tactic I could that day. I sat at the very back. I waited till everybody was in and went in last until it was, and when it was dark. And as soon as whatever session it was on finished, I was first out the door and I was on my mobile phone pretending to take a call because I needed to look busy and I needed to not talk to anybody. Oh, I'd go straight into the toilet at the break. So I just stayed there until I thought I looked presentable. And then I went back into the auditorium and put on what I could, my face, and I just didn't talk to anyone the whole day. And then it finished and I was first out the door and I'm making my way to my car, which I'd parked down the very back. And I was so close to my car and I started to um, get comfort in the fact that I've survived. <laughs> I've got my security there I've actually got my car keys out and I've clicked the button and I was about to open the door when a voice behind me yelled out um, my name and I turned around and it was my manager Joy and um, I'm pretending to fumble around in my bag and I'm trying to talk to her without looking at her because I'd already started welling up and I knew I was on the brink and um, she's come up to me and she said, are you okay? And I said, um, you know, yeah, you know, I'm fine. And she said, you haven't been yourself today. Are you okay? 
and with that I just unraveled. Um, I'd got to the point that I felt if I admitted I wasn't coping, the Victoria Police would tell me to leave. And I, I don't say I asked for help, I say I surrendered because I wasn't after any help. I just couldn't keep up the facade anymore and I surrendered to the war that had been going on in my head. You're a smart person, obviously, Pauline. You, you must have known, even if you didn't feel it, you must have known that you were going to have to pay for that, that you're going to have to pay for the big girl pants. 15 years, I'd embedded some pretty good practices. Got good at it. I got very good at it. I think if they had Oscars for facades, I'd be right up there. I'm an inspector now. Um, and when I had my meltdown at the academy, I actually thought I'm going to get kicked out of the police force. I thought I'll be ill health retired and I've, I've um, one way path. I was very fortunate that my manager was Joy and she was, um, she listened to my hyperventilated story, condensed version of the last 15 odd years. And her words at the end of that was, I don't know how to help you but it sounds like the police force broke you. So the police force will fix you and I'll walk with you as we work out what that looks like. And she never once promised me anything. She didn't say you're not going to get ill health retired. She didn't say you're going to stay in the police force. She just walked with me as I opened up each door. And at times she pushed me through doors after that, I, I determined that I needed to deal with it. I committed to doing a, a plan. I'd had connections with a clinical psychologist that had seen me on and off, and I said, I'm ready. And he said, well, if you're ready, a treatment plan is a six-week treatment plan that I'd like you to come once a week, one hour a week. I took six weeks off work committed to doing and dedicating myself to getting healthy. That six weeks um, plan, my one hour session, which was a conversation that he then gave me homework, the homework I found was so intense. My homework involved reading stuff, but exercises such as taking your shoes off, walking outside on the grass and feeling the grass under your feet. I had to stop and smell roses and I struggled. I struggled to do those simple things because my big girl pants and my strategy to protect myself had built up that I couldn't be in the moment. So I was in this no man's land for 12 months. Um, after 12 months, I moved back into my position at Wangaratta with some support networks in place. I built up to doing the 265 shifts again, which are those supervisor shifts which poked the bear and really pushed my triggers. 
and at some point I stopped uh, hiding under the table fearing that every shift somebody was going to be in a police shooting and at some point I applied for the inspector's job that everything about the job I applied for 12 months before that, two years before that, would have triggered every anxiety in me and yet I remember submitting my first inspector application form. When I hit the submit button, I knew I, I sat back and I realised I've just applied for a job that two years ago would have set me off and there's no way I would have even thought of doing it. And yet none of those thoughts came to mind when I applied for the job and I allowed myself to acknowledge my progress. So having chronic PTSD isn't a barrier. I thought it would hinder my career and yet the reality of my career is I've been promoted since openly coming out and saying I've got chronic PTSD. If it happened now, do you, do you think it would have played out differently? I think we've come a long way. I think the support structures that are there are getting better and more genuine. When I hear about the Burke Street um, shootings that happened and I hear about how many of the members then reached out to have conversations with the police psychology unit, I think we've come a heck of a long way. Where are the, uh, where are the big girl pants? Are they in a drawer? you know, pulled out, you know, once a season or do they get washed every week? Uh, I actually think I've thrown them out. I'm, I have had a lot of assistance talking through strategies and identifying triggers. Like I don't, I don't know, I haven't never asked. I don't think I'm, you ever get cured of PTSD when you've gone to the length that I've gone to. I don't um, think you then get fixed. What happens or what I'm finding is happening is I am aware of it, I talk about it, I'm open about it. Like I, I've given presentations on my journey and what I've had at the end of it is people see themselves in my chronology of that 15-year period, they see either themselves or someone they know somewhere along it. And they have, and I've had a number of contacts afterwards where people have said, because of hearing your story, either I went and spoke to somebody or they encouraged whoever it was to speak to somebody. We need to shorten that 15-year gap. <laughs> this is Chief Commissioner Shane Patton. Chief Commissioner, the story of, uh, of Pauline Williams is, is one hell of a tale, but the, the suffering that she endured after it is is it's hard to talk about very much so we have nowadays a range of different support mechanisms that we never had back then and it is important that we continue to to learn from those experiences and how we can better help our members when they are in, involved in such critical incidents the pressure was there to get over something very quickly wasn't it come on we're going to have a couple of beers you know we'll have a chat and then tomorrow you know we'll we'll just move on to the next thing that that pressure to move on didn't help did it now, everyone thought they were doing the right thing back in the day. You're going to have plenty of drinks and you talk about it in an informal debrief, for lack of a better description, and then you'd be expected to harden up and move on. 
we know that that doesn't work. We know that you need to go through a whole range of different uh, peer support, uh, welfare support, uh, discussions with our uh, people from our psychology unit, uh, a range of different areas we need to speak about and go through and it doesn't just disappear straight away these things can stay with you for a long long time and so yes we've now matured a lot as an organization to a point where we're providing that ongoing support moving forward now it's a lifetime ago in terms of what what was then and what was now we've had to mature as we recognize um not just physical injuries but mental injuries ptsd and that it is an injury and we can help people get better from it thanks to inspector pauline williams not just for the courage of what she did on that march afternoon in 1997 but the courage to come out the other side and to give other people the story of her journey to help them get out of their big girl or big boy pants easier than she did You've been listening to Distinction. For more stories of courage inside Victoria Police, please subscribe. If this story has brought something up for you, help is available. Victoria Police employees and their families can access support through wellbeing services on 1300 090 995 or via the Victoria Police Blue Space wellbeing website. Police veterans can also find support through Police Veterans Support Victoria. Help is available to everyone via Lifeline on 13 11 14 or through Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36.